Hey everyone, Malika here. This is our 100th episode of The Take. Before we start the show, we wanted to thank you for joining us along this road to 100. We couldn't do it without you. If you've been enjoying the podcast, let us know. Send us a message on Twitter or Instagram at AJTheTake, and we'll respond. We love hearing from you. Now, here's today's show. I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. Mexico is reopening. The Latin American country set last week, June 1st, as the day to restart the economy and gradually get to the so-called new normal after it implemented measures to prevent the spread of COVID-19. But the numbers of bodies piling up in morgues and crematoriums in the capital do not seem to match the numbers that the government of Andres Manuel López Obrador says are helping to flatten the curve. Sometimes our ovens are so saturated, we have to cremate the following day. We leave the bodies at the hospital because we have no room for them. In March, what started with just a few cases has ballooned to over 100,000 cases by the beginning of June. According to a publication by the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, or OECD, Mexico is one of the countries with the lowest levels of testing in the bloc. However, this week, Cancun, one of the most famed beaches in the region, has opened for business. I'm talking to Al Jazeera's Manuel Rapalo in Mexico City to find out how ready the country is to receive those international tourists. Nanny, thanks so much for joining me. How did the Mexican government first react to the novel coronavirus? That's a good question, because unlike other countries uh, in the world, Mexico being in Latin America and Latin America being the last region of the world that became infected with coronavirus, Mexico had this uh, tremendous amount of time to prepare. And one of the biggest criticisms of the Mexican government, specifically the Mexican president, is that that time was squandered. Squandered time, lack of preparation in face of the global pandemic, not an uncommon criticism of many world leaders. But Mexico has had a longer lead time than most to develop a plan for how to protect the country from the novel coronavirus. And there's another thing. Mexico was uniquely positioned to think about the catastrophic effects of a pandemic. In 2009, Mexico was at the center of another pandemic, H1N1, better known as swine flu. But what lessons did Mexico learn from it? I've spoken with some of the medical leadership that was in charge of H1N1 when that was an outbreak that started here in Mexico in 2009. And they seemed very confident that there were lessons that were learned that would be applied for the coronavirus outbreak that simply weren't. There was so much time where the government could have prepared PPE, personal protective equipment. The government could have readied hospitals. The government could have set up triage centers for overflow. And while some of that did happen, most of that didn't happen till a lot later. And another big criticism 
of the president specifically was this sort of nonchalant, lackadaisical attitude comparing the coronavirus to just a small flu. And I know that we heard that from a lot of leaders around the world, but the president of Mexico up until March was still attending rallies, still kissing babies. That's President López Obrador during a press conference in March. These are my bodyguards. He's showing an amulet that he said will protect him against the novel coronavirus. Stop there, enemy, because Jesus' heart is with me. So you listed the ways that the government failed to react. What has the Mexican president done right to take care of citizens? Well, there has been some praise, again, a lot of criticism, but there has been some praise from the World Health Organization, for example, for Mexico's campaigns for social distancing. But there's a jingle for washing your hands. It's really, really catchy. And I think that that's part of the reason why it's been so successful. You know, lavar en jabonar. It's wash your hands real well and uh, make sure you get lots of suds. And it's a really it's a really catchy jingle and it's been praised because it's it's worked. You've got kids that, you know, sing along while they wash their hands. And all of this has been really informative and, and, and helped people. But there are also millions and millions of people all across Mexico that don't have Internet access, that don't have uh, cable TV or any sort of way of receiving these sorts of messages from the government, especially when you get to the really, really poor communities outside of the major cities, the indigenous communities, which, by the way, account for upwards of 10% of the population. These are some of the poorest communities in the country. And between them, the indigenous communities, they speak over 60 different languages Mm -hmm. apart from Spanish. So reaching all of these people, despite the government's best efforts, is still uh, near impossible. So lockdowns, we've seen them in lots of different places and across Latin America and across the world. What about in Mexico? Did they enforce lockdowns like other places did? No, Mexico has done nothing that's enforced. Everything has been voluntary. Mm. So the social distancing guidelines, very few people are actually abiding by them, uh, wearing masks. Roughly half of the people even have access to masks. Those ran out fairly quickly. So everything that that the government has been promoting has been 100% voluntary. So even businesses, when we're talking about businesses closing, a lot of businesses never close their doors. Even here in Mexico City, which has become sort of the epicenter of the outbreak, there's still plenty of cafes where people can go and sit down and have a meal because it's not being enforced. There are just so many people that you see walking around outside without masks, just sort of living their lives. And it's really troubling because we know that there's a large section of the population who still thinks that this is a hoax, who still thinks that this is not real and it's propagated by the fake news media. And a lot of that stems from the leadership, which has been compared to leadership in the United States. So those all sound like major challenges. What are some other challenges that the government itself is facing when it comes to fighting this virus? Some of the 
reports that I've uh, done since the start of the outbreak here have focused on just the lack of resources, most importantly, a basic lack of water. So if the government's strategy is for basic hygiene to be the number one containment measure, the best defense we have against coronavirus, well, there's millions of people across the country that don't have access to running water. We can go 15 days without water. We can figure it out. But it can be complicated to keep water reserves to hold you for 15 days. There's pre-existing medical conditions which we know contribute to a worse effect by the coronavirus once it enters the human body. Well, many Mexicans suffer from several pre-existing conditions such as hypertension, obesity, and diabetes. And that's not to mention the lack of infrastructure across the country. Hospitals were already ill-prepared even before the start of the outbreak here in the country. So what we're hearing from people, medical professionals, especially from paramedics that are out in the field taking COVID-19 calls every day, is that they're worried that the health system in the country could be near collapse. And they say this because we have not yet reached peak contagion. In 20 years of working as a paramedic, I've never seen anything like this. I thought the worst I'd see was the earthquake in 2017, but this is worse. But these factors aren't the only ones the country has to be concerned about. The outbreak extends into another corner of the population residing in Mexico. Mexico has become this sort of temporary, permanent home for migrants from Central America that have, you know, over the last few years been trying to make their way into the United States. Well, now they're stuck in migrant shelters on Mexico's northern border and southern border with Guatemala. And even under the best of circumstances, the living conditions at some of these migrant centers and migrant detention centers are miserable, notoriously bad living conditions. So they've, they've now become hotspots for contagion during this outbreak. So when talking about this pandemic, one of the interesting things is that Mexico has been through something like this before. So back in 2009, with the H1N1 outbreak, and at the time it was this new strain of influenza that was commonly known as swine flu. Did that help the government prepare for this coronavirus outbreak at all? I spoke to the lead epidemiologist who was working on H1N1 back in 2009, and I asked him exactly that. At the time, what the doctor said was that there were a lot of lessons that had been learned from H1N1 in terms of procedure. But in terms of preparedness, the, the current Mexican government now, which is a different administration, had not applied everything that had been learned specifically when it comes to preparedness. So having the necessary protective uh, gear for doctors, nurses, medical professionals, having the public spaces that would be repurposed in the event of overflow of COVID-19 patients or in the event of other patients that need other services. And we found someone here at Al Jazeera who was actually in Mexico when H1N1 happened. My name is Mercedes Vargas Lugo. I'm a planning producer and I coordinate the Latin American coverage for the network. I'm from Mexico, and uh, I was in Mexico when the swine flu uh, crisis started to happen in the midst of moving to the United States. Mercedes told us about that experience, what it was like to be in the epicenter of a pandemic more than 10 years ago. It was very interesting to see how Mexico did it at the time. 
because the Mexican government realized at the moment, well, we have a really good public um, hospital system, but at the same time, we're not the CDC, right? We are not, we don't have this international capacity to deal with a brand new virus in the world that is causing deaths. So we saw very early these campaigns that now have become norm, but they were weird at the time of cover your mouth, wash your hands all the time, stay a little bit apart. The other thing that they had is that they were very transparent. This idea of like giving updates every day of the number of dead, that was, um, I think, very unique at the time for everyone. Let's remember that the 2009 swine flu crisis was in the midst of the 2008 financial crisis for the world. And I think Lopez Obrador has been so afraid to, to affect the economy. So at the same time that the government has not had a, a clear reaction and a clear message for the people to follow every day and clear guidelines in, in many ways, there are a lot of people that say, OK, the reaction has been good. And I spoke with a, a friend of mine, Joaquin Fuentes, who's a, a, a journalist in one of the biggest uh, TV stations in Mexico. I think the H1N1 pandemic left us with barely any experience to confront what we're living with today with COVID-19. That said, I think the Mexican government has been able to keep the number of infections under control, as well as the hospital response. They haven't made the best decisions, but they've done well with the hospital infrastructure they have. I also spoke with, with one of my cousins, Javier Menendez, and he and his brother own a furniture factory and they are a small business. And they've been suffering a lot with this crisis because the government is uh, not helping this kind of business. And he's actually was telling me that he's done all of these things to implement for his workers, sanitation stations, giving them masks, giving them gloves, like taking it really, really serious but with no help at all from the government. Like we've seen other governments try to help businessmen and small businesses, knowing that this will help the recovery of the country. Here we have seen nothing like that. I think um, in Mexico, a little bit like what happens in the United States, you have the people that support, believe what he says, and the people like my cousin, who is more in the opposition of, of Lopez Obrador and, and, you know, his political views, it's very hard for them to see, you know, something that positive that the government is doing. And a situation like this makes it much worse. And he was telling me, you know, that these numbers don't seem real. And the lack of transparency from the government makes people like him say, like, this is not normal. I think there are a lot more deaths than what they are reporting. For example, I have a client, the J. Garcia Lopez Funeral Home to whom we've been selling urns for years. And they said that they are a capacity in the cremation area. They even had to rent refrigerator trucks to hold the bodies. Now they're saying that some areas in Mexico are going to spike in August. That tells you that they're seeing that the level of contagion in the, in, in the community, it's prevalent, but it's going to really continue. And they have fantastic mathematicians dealing with this in Mexico that are looking at this and saying, this is not going to be done in the next month. This is going to be all over the summer. And now most of the people I talk to know someone that has gotten it, someone that has died. So let's talk about numbers. 
because it seems like what the federal government is saying when it comes to numbers differs from what local authorities are saying. So what's the Mexican health minister saying about this? The Mexican health minister, uh, you're talking about uh, the Mexican Anthony Fauci, is actually a pretty well-liked personality here in Mexico. But there has also uh, been an independent study that was published recently that has kind of chipped away at the trust that people have of Mexico's deputy health minister. Last week, Mexico overtook the United States in daily reported deaths from the coronavirus for the first time. A total of 1,092 fatalities were registered on Wednesday, June 3rd. The man Manuel was talking about, Hugo lopez Gatel, deputy health minister, said there's been an improvement in the way the local government of Mexico City is documenting the pandemic. The country's capital has been the epicenter for the virus. In the last two months, many have challenged the numbers the López Obrador's government reports every day. In Mexico, COVID-19 affected the rich first, people coming back from skiing vacations in Colorado. But now, over 100,000 people have been infected, and more than 26,000 of those are in Mexico City. Many say it could have been prevented. So who's to blame for all the deaths and underreported deaths? One group is on top of it. There's an independent organization here in Mexico. They're called Mexicanos Contra la Corrupción e Impunidad. Uh, it's Mexicans Against Corruption and Impunity. It's an NGO. They did an independent study of death certificates over a period of time. And they found that the number was actually three times higher than what the government was reporting, or at least could be three times higher. Because specifically, the government is not taking into account death certificates from people who are staying at home, self-quarantined, never got tested. So testing is a really, a really big uh, factor. What do you know about how easy or difficult it is to be tested? Not only do I not know where I would go to be tested. I don't even know where I would go if I got sick or if my wife got sick. So Mexico's health system, it isn't bad. It, it, it's structured in a way that everyone has access to health care through the public health system. And there's also private hospitals. The problem is the access to, to these hospitals right now. What Mexico City has done, they established this app that tells you which hospitals in the city are full or nearing capacity. The last time I checked this app, the vast majority of hospitals were already in the red, meaning that they were already in capacity. All but five hospitals um, were still accepting patients. The problem is that the app isn't uh, always the most reliable. One story that we heard from a paramedic that was especially troubling is that it's not just the average person that doesn't always know where they should go when they're feeling ill and they want to go to the hospital. Paramedics are having that, that, that problem as well. I think we should be worried about the level of saturation at hospitals because we've arrived in an ambulance and found there's no space for our patients. We have to wait one, two, three. I've had to wait for up to four hours. She had a patient in the back of her ambulance for four hours waiting outside of a hospital and the patient actually died in the back of the ambulance. Mm. 
waiting for a bed to open up. So we're in June and we're seeing many countries start to slowly reopen. In Mexico, the economy was suffering even before the coronavirus. Its gross domestic product shrank by 0.1 percent last year. And so you have some analysts who are saying the economy is expected to contract by as much as 4% this year. We know that tourism generates a significant chunk of Mexico's GDP, about 17%. What is the plan to reopen? Is the government ready for that? Are the, the cities and municipalities ready for that? The biggest concern when we're talking about reopening the economy is factories, I think, specifically factories along the U.S.-Mexico border. Auto manufacturers comes to mind right away, specifically because you have a tremendous amount of pressure from the United States, which we know the debate going on in the United States about reopening the economy. Well, that's that's bled over specifically to Mexico's northern border, where we've seen outbreaks happen at factories. So my personal view is that Mexico is not ready to reopen its economy, but the fact of the matter is that the target was set for June 1st to be the day that Mexico reaches its quote-unquote new normal, according to the to the Mexican government. And this was a date set kind of taking into account a forecasted peak of contagion being sometime in May, but that never happened. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Ney Alvarez, Priyanka Telve, Dina Kisve, Alexandra Locke, Amy Walters, and me, Malika Bilal. Natalia Aldana is our engagement producer. Alex Roldan is our sound designer. Stacey Samuel is The Take's executive producer. And Graylin Brashear is Al Jazeera's head of audio. Special thanks to Yara Almjui, John Holman, and Ricardo Lopez. <laughs> 